I would I would just prefer to play you know fifteen hundred twenty five hundred dollar buy ins. That's what I've done for twenty years. And that's what I enjoy. You hear that, Triton guys? You're you're boring everyone. What's up, everybody? Today we've got the guy who was pretty much responsible for starting the first poker boom. He won the 2003 main event, and he's been pretty much in the scenes uh, the entire time, and he's still uh, continued his success to this day. And he's here to tell us a bit about all that. Welcome, Chris Moneymaker. What's going on? Not much, Jungle Man. How are you doing, brother? Long time. It's been about a week and a half. Yeah, well, we we, we finally made it together. Um, yeah, we were just talking about you winning the 2003 main event championship. I, uh, you, you're the only main event... No, I, I know um, I, I know the guy who won last one. I know a couple of them, but I don't know the years. You know, like, a few a few years of people winning the mains. Uh, I mean, that's, like, probably more than most people. I don't know how many people know, like, who won every single main event it's crazy how many people in poker know every main event winner every year really uh yeah it's actually pretty insane okay i'm gonna have to test this because i don't i don't know like any of them and people I like... hey, if you ask a poker fan like just random two five poker fan they're gonna know like almost everybody really i had mm-hmm. no idea see i'm like awful yep. at this shit um yeah i'm not good at it either i'm it's not it's definitely not my strength all right. I don't know if it's really the ideal strength, as you've said, as you've kind of, been, I mean, I don't know how like useful this information is, to be honest. Uh, no offense to the people that do know it, but whatever. Um, you, well, I mean, you, if you're if you're playing Jeopardy or something, maybe I don't know. Well, there you go. See, I'm like shit at Jeopardy, or pretty shit. So, uh, is your well, I know the answer to this, but is your last name actually Moneymaker? It is. Okay. All right. Just just uh, wanted to get that out there for the fans, just because. Probably a lot of people be asking something like that. So, well, um, you know, there was a big scuttle with my April Fool's joke a couple of years ago where I said my name was Smith, and everybody now believes my name is Smith. It was an April Fool's joke, and uh, it got legs because people don't look at the date, and it's still out there on the internet, which is, you know, quite funny. <laughs> Did you know there's a Chris Smith in poker also? Nope. Had no idea that. Well, I'm sure there is. I mean, I. I I didn't know. Uh, I don't know him if he if he plays a lot. He he does play a lot. He plays mostly private games though. Um, he's pretty he's a pretty nice guy for the most part. Um, I don't know if. I mean, he doesn't have the best reputation as a poker player. He's not that bad of a guy of a poker player, but he's a you know, decent guy. Um, so Chris Smith sucks at poker. That's that's what we're getting out of this interview. All right, uh, sorry, Chris Smith. I would not say that. Actually, it's not really fair to say. Um, just maybe, maybe in like the, maybe in like the the top. Maybe sucks compared to like the top pros. Let's put it that way. That might be more accurate to say. I mean, he probably has a lot of money actually. Um, all right. Well, let's talk more about you. Uh, so, I I watched your story. Um, it seemed like uh, you did have a bit of a gambling situation before poker. Um, and it sound it seems like you you know you won the whole thing from I believe it's an eighty six dollar satellite is that right why don't you tell us a bit about what happened um, yeah eighty six dollar satellite uh, yeah definitely I mean I was a pretty much addicted gambler I uh, bet on sports pretty consistently um, through college I bet pretty big mm-hmm. um, uh, built up a nice roll lost it all chased it for two or three years. Um, Got out into the corporate world, started working as an accountant. Uh, my gambling continued. Uh, fell in, found poker um, when I was about 23 years old, which was about 2001. And I uh, was playing home games with friends and then found out you could play online. Started playing online, won a satellite to the main event. Uh, my first live tournament I ever played was the main event, went out and... Uh, Obviously, uh, won that, and all of a sudden started kind of the poker boom. Uh, the next event I play is a WPT, and I get second. So, 
Uh, my poker career started off in a, you know, a gangbuster style. Um, and <laughs> so I spent the next 20 years traveling around the world playing. Uh, that's not too bad of a story. <laughs> um, yeah. I have a question. Um, so, one second. Okay, so I've got a question. Did you ever um, get over your degenerative tendencies or you just like gambled a little bit and it wasn't such a big leak? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Once you make money, like you don't really need that. I don't know. For me anyways, I didn't need that uh, degen leak anymore. I, I lost it. Um, I, I still bet on sports, but I bet the same amount. Like I was betting a thousand a game. Uh, mm-hmm. back then, and I'm betting a thousand a game now. Um, and if I don't, I don't even bet much anymore. I, I mean, the only way I really bet a game is if I go to the game. Um, if my son wants to go to a game, you know, I'll probably bet on it one way or the other. But um, for the most part, I don't need the, I don't really have the itch anymore. Um, kind of lost that, which is nice. Um, you know, again, once you have a certain comfort level, I guess you don't really look for that. So it broke me of it. Thank goodness. Okay, I, I did not know that. Um, I personally, I mean, I could see how that could be the case. I mean, maybe you're just like chasing a lot, and uh, I mean, I, I felt some something similar in other arenas, uh, but not poker. Um, or not when it came to money. I didn't have that for other things. I had that, uh, or at least it. Well, I had it for alcohol. I had it for alcohol. I had it for. Uh, I had it for a lot of stuff, probably too. Food gambling uh hard to quit all that stuff for what's what's the last one uh food drinking and gambling oh well food is a bit more cigarettes oh okay food is a bit more natural one i guess cigarettes can be that way too i mean a lot of people eat when they get stressed actually it's a very common thing um well i just i ate 24 hours a day. I just, I, my diet was terrible. Um, you know, it, it's funny because back when I won the World Series, everybody kind of looked like me. They were, you know, heavy set, middle, middle aged, older guys. Um, that was the general uh, description of a poker player back then. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, the top players in the world are all, you know, going to the gym. They're all, you know, taking care of their bodies. And uh, the game is, obviously evolved a lot i mean we were just both in the triton and um uh, i saw you in the gym i saw basically you know everybody that everybody there saw was you in, in the, the gym, gym essentially mm-hmm. everybody there was in the in the gym uh you know getting in shape so i'm trying yeah. trying to fit in it's a pretty uh hard change i mean it is possible though i mean actually one of the things by the way um i'm building a community where people i'm trying to get people to go to the gym it's not that easy, uh, but one of the things I like I held a challenge where pe- people went to the gym every day, or ten days out of uh, fourteen days, some um, that they'd get like a free lesson for me. Ten, d- ten days out of fourteen is actually too much. It doesn't have to be that much, but um, you owe me a, you owe me a couple free lessons. Then I'm ready to go. Let's go. Well, we can figure something out, I think. Uh, actually, right. uh, your story for inspiring people doesn't have to end, certainly, with, um, you know, just the poker transformation or the poker uh, win. You could also show, like, the body transformation. Then that's also a story. I'm trying. I'm down 33 pounds right now, um, and I'm lifting a lot more than what I have in a while, so um hopefully the body transformation continues it's been pretty easy i didn't do any weight loss bets or anything like that so i just did it because i wanted to for my kids and you know wanted to live longer um it's definitely i think it's helped my poker game some um you know i'm not as tired as i was i don't really get i used to just fall asleep in my chair all the time where now um i'm pretty good to go well 33 pounds is a lot i wonder i mean like that is kind of a big deal um, or like a yeah, it is a very big deal. It's not. It takes like something like six pounds a month. So you must have been at it for a while. Well, good job. That is uh, that's something. It's, it requires like a whole like lifestyle change. Uh, Rudy, for it has for sure. Maybe you can uh, race with Sean Deeb. It seems like there's a collaboration there. 
Yeah, honestly, I, it's Sean, when Sean Deeb started, it's pretty much when I started. And, uh, you know, he, he gave me a little bit of inspiration on it. And uh, it's, it's funny because he was down 40 during the World Series of Poker and didn't really look like it. Um, I don't know. He's carrying a lot of his weight in his face. So um, hopefully, you know, I, I do too. I carry a lot of my neck. But uh, hopefully he'll start shedding it for this for his weight loss bet. Well, shout out to Sean Deeb for inspiring. I mean, this is, by the way, uh, um, what kind of change I'm trying to do also with the podcast. The way you get to a large scale change is is literally by people starting at a small scale and just bo- it's supposed to, and finding some kind, kind of way to grow and grow. But uh, basically to start a trend of uh, a series of positive changes in a certain direction. But one of them is health uh, that I personally want to focus on that made thing for me that I'm changing. Um, it's uh, it's challenging, though, for a few reasons. I don't know. I found money always to be a bigger motivator to, um, to, to like, do things for than just eat healthy, if you know what I mean. Well, yeah. I mean, weight loss bets are obviously, you know, designed because, you know, they get you up off the couch and they start you moving. Um, once you're going, it's generally, you know, the, the problem for poker players, honestly, is, you know, whenever you go on the road, your lifestyle changes so much versus when you're at home. And that was always my problem. I could start a diet or start working out, but then I went on the road and it all went to hell. Um, you know, everything fell apart the second I hit the road and then I reverted back to my old ways because, you know, whatever, I'd already messed it up. And, um, you know, I've been working with a guy now. It's like, you know, if I have a bad day, I eat eat things that I'm not supposed to eat. We just get right back on back on track tomorrow and uh, go back to the gym and we don't lose focus. Um, and I've gone through three trips now where I've been on the road, uh, the World Series, uh, London, and one other place um, where I was able to maintain the weight loss and maintain the, the good dieting. And um, Well, not even dieting. I don't, I don't really diet. I just eat things that are healthier for me than what I was doing before. Well, um, but that's the toughest thing for a poker players trying to, you know, deal with those changes in atmosphere. Yeah. Um, well, that's tough for anybody, actually. I mean, everyone... Like, yeah, but a lot of people, you know, they, they just work at home or they, they go to a 9-to-5 job. They have a pretty oh yeah standard, uh, you know, pretty set schedule. You know, as a poker player, um, especially a tournament player, I mean... As you're, as you're well aware, I mean, it looks like you're in a hotel now. Um, you're on the road a lot. Are you in London, or where are you at? No, I'm in Paris. You're in Paris. What's in Paris? Um, Disneyland, and also, uh, what else? Facts. Girls, and uh, um, uh, what else? Uh, pretty things. Uh, uh, pretty things, all right. What, uh, French food. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, the life of jungle. It's pretty. It's pretty awesome. So yeah, uh, I would say that that is a very big difficulty for poker players is that the lack of stability. I've had an immense trouble with that. I had realized I had to chill out. It just throws me off a lot. Well, did you make any? Um, did you make any changes with your other habits as well? Well, I mean, I've made changes over the years. I mean, I used to drink a lot. I don't drink anymore. Um, I used to smoke. I don't smoke anymore. Um, and then as far as like diet, you know, obviously I changed my diet and I started working out pretty consistently. Um, the hardest thing for me actually was the diet. I mean, getting from drinking, you know, I was drinking 12 Cokes a day to transition over to water, which is obviously a pretty big change. I oh, lost yeah. a lot of weight just doing that alone. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, um, were they Coke Zeros or were they regular Cokes? Oh, no, full, full-blooded, you know, all, uh, all the real. calorie Cokes. <laughs> Straight I, I was shit. drinking a full days of, uh, you know, calories and just, just drinking. I, you know, didn't even include my food. I was probably consuming 5,000 calories a day thanks to my Coke intake. Shit. That's why I went to two, I went to 285 pounds. I mean, my body, my normal body weight is probably about 170, 175, and I went to 285, so... Oh, okay. Well, well, you made a lot of changes. Congrats. I mean, to kick all those things is not easy. I mean, getting smoking alone, even like one of those things is uh, is tough. 
Like I think that's it was tough. I I I quit smoking about four years ago, so um, and it was it was pretty tough. I had some withdrawals, um, but once once I kicked it, I was you know obviously I just kicked it. So okay, yeah. I mean, uh, that that I think is I mean really noteworthy. Most people cannot make these kinds of changes. Actually, I would say less than one percent makes uh, maybe even two of these changes combined. Well, I'll get, I'll give you my secret for the uh, for the smoking. It was actually you know I had an idea that um, it worked for me, but uh, I, I live about fifteen minutes to the closest gas station or grocery store or anything like that. And um, this is right you know this is before Uber. It's like I said like four or five years ago. There wasn't Uber in our area. I told my wife uh, to go down to the beach and take the kids and take all the keys with her and leave me at the house by myself where I can't leave. I couldn't go get cigarettes, so I'm stuck for a week and I can't physically, unless I wanted to walk, you know, 10 miles both ways to get <laughs> cigarettes. Um, there's just no getting cigarettes. So I basically, that's, that's how I quit smoking. It sucked for three days. I had withdrawals. It was, I mean, I was in bed. It was just horrible. Um, by about the fifth day, things started to get better. By the time they got home, I was pretty clean, pretty, uh, pretty good to go. And I'd never picked them up since. Uh, well, there's a psychological term for this, by the way. Um, but uh, I forget what it is. I really wish I knew what it is because it keeps coming up. But the basic idea is make it hard to do something. Um, and like obviously if you have junk food and cigarettes laying around all day it's gonna be real easy to pick up like laying around your house it's gonna be real easy to pick up one of those or just take drinks so you want to make it you don't want to put uh put these things in your house um as uh yeah we had we had cokes and junk food all over the house all the time we've we've taken that out so oh, wow. um yeah it's, yeah basically we, we made will, a lot of changes for the audience uh but basically willpower is not as powerful as uh, the environment that you're in. Uh, there's just countless studies on this, and um, you got to set yourself up for success. I mean, you know, if you if you set yourself up for failure, it's going to be tough. I mean, if if you're trying to smoke cigarettes and you got cigarettes anywhere close to you, yeah, you're probably just going <laughs> to go back to it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so tell tell us uh, more about what the what you've been doing at poker the last few years. I saw you at Triton recently. You made a huge cash actually in um in the two fifty k. Congratulations on that. Um, I don't. I, you know what? I forgot to look up what place you got. You got the third or fourth, something like that. I got I got fifth fifth place. Yep. Uh, okay, it's still really good. Yeah. I mean, in a field where there's quite a few top pros and all that, um, really good. Yeah, no, it was a tough field. It's probably one of my better accomplishments as far as poker goes. I mean. You know, playing against that field. I mean, you play against that field all the time. That's my first Triton event. Um, I generally don't play that high stakes. Um, uh, ACR has been trying to get me to do them, and I keep saying no. Um, they finally, you know, they were supposed. I was supposed to go to Vietnam, and I backed out of it. And they said, "Well, if you back out of this one, you have to go to London." So they forced me to go to London. Um, that'll be my last one for a while. I hope. I don't. I don't plan on going back to any for anytime soon. Oh, why is that? You didn't like it? I've never liked high-stakes poker. It's just never been my thing. Um, oh, okay. I don't really have to compete against the best in the world. That's not really something that oh, fair point. I have to do. I mean, I'm I'm pretty good financially, so like, there's really no point in me risking, you know. I lost 320 k before I even started the Triton when I got out there playing cash, and that's generally not like what I like to do. Um I generally play five ten, ten and a quarter, um, things where I, I just can't get hurt. I enjoy the game. And when I play at lower stakes, um, people are having fun. It's more in, you know, people are uh, telling stories and it's more of a social game where you play on the Triton, for example. Um, there are people that are talking and having a good time, but the, it's a lot more serious. It's a lot more, you know, people are really in their thoughts and, you know, there were tables I'd, that no one ever said a word the entire time, and uh, I don't enjoy playing poker when I don't really talk. So um, mm -hmm. oh, I would yeah. I would just prefer to play you know fifteen hundred twenty five hundred dollar buy-ins. That's what I've done for twenty years, and that's what I enjoy. You hear that, Triton guys? You're you're boring everyone. 
start <laughs> saying things. I like couldn't even. I felt like weird if I started talking too much at the final. I probably should actually. I should in spite of them, just because they are too damn boring to be honest. Uh, I don't know. Well, I just yeah, feel I mean, bad if I annoy them. They're playing for so much money. I mean, it's it's a different. You know, they're playing for so much money. It's it's different. You know, when you play a fifteen hundred dollar buy an event. You're still playing for a good chunk of money, but you're only investing fifteen hundred bucks. It's it's people are there for the week. You know, they're it's a weekend thing for them. You know, they they go to work all the time, and then you know they want to come play a tournament on the weekend, and uh, just uh, they want to enjoy themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, for sure, the the other ones are the smaller ones are more casual. Also, high stakes cash games are really casual. All sorts of dumb stuff happens in high stakes cash games. We were playing a one k two k, but a ten k each uh stand-up game so it played like four times bigger and um i mean there were some it's all it's weird because it's all jokes and stuff when we play these kinds of stakes um for some reason yeah cash games are obviously different i i I lost my money i played the 1k 2k plo while i was at triton and uh that's where i kind of got beat up i uh i ran pretty bad for about 30 minutes um it was real frustrating. It was actually the highest I'd ever played, and uh, I, I didn't run very good on my my first shot. So, um, but it was fun. Everybody was having a blast. I mean, cash games. You're right. They're it's a lot different. That they those are enjoyable. A lot of uh, variables that they throw into the game, whether stand up game or mm-hmm. oh yeah, deuce to seven, whatever. <laughs> By the way, um, uh, I want to give a shout out to a guy who I think is really great at PLO coaching. This guy, Doctor GTO Dylan Wiseman. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, in PLO, you can play great and, like, totally lose all the time. It's, like, kind of anno- it's annoying as shit in that kind of game. Um, and even, yeah, I mean, it's tons of variants. You're probably better than that field, I have to imagine. I don't know how your PLO is, but, um, uh, that's a decent money-making opportunity, and it's, like, a lot more fun. That's why I prefer the cash games. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to play high stakes, it would be cash games. I wouldn't play the tournaments. The tournaments are so tough. I mean, they are really brutal. Um, players are, you know, they, they've got it solved. I mean, I'm sitting there, you know, at the table talking to another pro, and, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, that was a pure call. You know, he, he lost so much equity by re-raising there, whatever. It's like, God, you're making my head hurt, man. Uh, <laughs> just just trying to play a little poker. <laughs> Uh, um, the the tournament robots are, are too too much. Um, well, tell us a bit more about uh, what else have you got going on in poker? I know you've got the. Um, well, I'm curious what kind of games you've been playing in the last uh, few years. It sounds like it's been tournaments mostly, um, and I know that you've opened up uh, a new tournament uh, tour, the Moneymaker Poker Tour. Would you like to talk about that? Yep, so we had our first stop uh, what, May uh, in Money, the Moneymaker Poker Tour. We're down in West Palm Beach. We actually have our second stop coming up in Daytona Beach uh, next week. Uh, the main event will be two weeks from now. It's two, a two-week series down in Daytona Beach. We've announced Cincinnati. Um, we're going to be stopping in Cincinnati in September. Um, and then we've got, I think, three more stops set for 2023. Um we haven't made the announcements on them yet, but they're going to be some fun stops. I think people will be excited about those. Um, and then looking at doing 12 stops uh, in 2024, uh, probably bringing it internationally, but um, probably just doing 12 stops throughout the U.S. Um, in 2024. We've got almost all those dates locked down. Um, we've had a lot of good rece- uh, reception from casinos and um, made a lot of good partners on that. We're also trying to open up card clubs, kind of similar to what they do in Texas. Um, opened up one in Kentucky. We got shut down. Trying to do another one, uh, but you know, got to fight through legislation and and all this other stuff to to get it open. Um, trying to go to a different market where not everybody is. You know, there's probably 96, I think last count, 96 rooms in Texas. So pretty populated market. There's four in Kentucky right now. Um, obviously it's a much more difficult market to get into though. Um, much smaller market, but also a, a lot more difficult. Well, that could be a good thing too. If you happen to get into it, if you're the only one that gets into it, then you have no competition. 
I had no competition. Everything was going all right, and they shut us down. So we're you know kind of back to the drawing board. But um, I believe we'll get there uh, next year or two. We'll see. But the tour is going to be the thing that we're going to focus on until we get that up and going. Um, Good thing is, is we can bring the tour to the club whenever we get a club open. Okay, well, that's kind of exciting. Uh, Do you have any plans for the tour? What were your goals with making it? And um, what made you decide to make it? Well, you know, honestly, like, you, you see all these other tours that are either... They, they just aren't player-friendly. They, they'll either cancel guarantees or they'll, really? you know, decide that, uh, you know, what the World Series this year, we, that, you know, we're not going to play play to the money. We're going to stop, you know, uh, three people before. Like, they, they just don't pay attention to the players. They don't listen to uh, generally what players want. And there's not a whole lot of good poker tours out there that offer a good variety for players. So, um, and again, it's more of the, the guarantee stuff. You know, when you put a guarantee on a tournament, you're supposed to pay it. And there's been too many times where uh, properties or, or tours, you know, don't pay their guarantee if, they, if people don't show up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if we put a guarantee out there, we're going to pay it no matter what. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that was kind of the driving factor in, in starting the tour. I went out and got probably one of the best tournament directors there is, and Tony Burns. He used to run the Seminole Hard Rock Florida Room. Um, he's my head tournament guy, and he's doing all the um, scheduling. He does all the work, essentially. I just you know, get to put my name on it and go play poker, which mm-hmm. is what I told him. And I've got a couple other people. I think you've met uh, a lady that works for me in London. I think we're, we might be doing some charity stuff. Oh, really? Um, I basically tell them that uh, I don't want to do any work. I just want to play poker. So they get, they go do all the work, which is nice. Yeah, that is kind of nice. It's just a bit complicated to figure out all this shit, especially organizing people. I've done a little bit of that, so I know some of that stuff. Um, who's car- who's canceling guarantees? That's uh, I didn't know a lot of tournaments are doing that. That's uh, kind of fucked up. Yeah, I know. I, uh, I think the Venetian canceled a few. Um I, I know there's probably been four or five different ones that have canceled guarantees in the last couple of years for different reasons or well, they'll either cancel the guarantee or they'll uh, put people in at half price to, you know, they'll, they'll do a lot of things that are unethical to, to meet the guarantees. Um, you can't put people in at half the price. What? That seems crazy. Yep. Well, you know, when, when you, you're not going to meet your guarantee, they just start putting all their friends in and putting everybody in the world in, uh, you know, giving them discounts and just because, I guess, they're free rolling, so they're putting just putting people in. Um, it was, I can't remember the place, but that was <coughs> kind of what was happening at one of the stops. I'm pretty sure the Venetian is the one that's pulled a lot of, pulled a couple of their guarantees. Um, so, yeah, when, when those things started happening, I was like, you know, I want to create a tour that, Players like to go play. Players can really enjoy themselves and be proud of it, and they don't have to worry about, you know, us pulling guarantees or, you know, making schedules that are not player-friendly. We want to give people a good chance to play, but at the same time, uh, you know, get them out the door. All right, the Moneymaker Tour for the people. All right, I like it. Um, That's the idea. Well, I hope you succeed because I'm certainly a fan of things that – um, are good for the people. I'm trying that this podcast is meant to be for the people. Uh, at least that's the idea. It's not as easy as it sounds to align interests properly, but uh, you know, uh, a lot of people just don't give a f- these days, and um, I think it's an issue. Poker's a tough. You know, it's tough to to align your interest with with the people. Poker's a tough uh, market for sure. Um, you know, I think we're going to do our best. I, I know that, you know, myself and Tony and um, we, we have the same goals. So um, I feel pretty confident that we're going to have a pretty good market for it. And again, the, the reception from the casinos have been good. We met all the guarantees our first stop. So, mm-hmm. um, so far, so good. Well, I've never heard of poker in some of these places like Cincinnati and Kentucky. I mean, I guess it exists. Like, I, I just haven't heard of it. I haven't been... I don't even know of like that many cross country 
I mean, maybe WPT has some cross country ones, but uh, I haven't heard of too many well, cross country. There's Run Good. There's uh, MSPT. There's been a couple other small ones too. Um, you know, you're you're playing one k, two k in Paris and everywhere else in the world. So you're not uh, sitting in Kentucky or Cincinnati playing two five and playing fifteen hundred dollar buying. So yeah, you probably wouldn't know. It, oh. It's a little bit different life. Little little different lifestyle. Oh. Well, I'm not aware of any aware of any 1K, 2K games in Paris. To, don't worry about that. Um, I understand uh, your transition from being an accountant to a poker player had quite an effect on your love life. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Like, how did uh, how did that work for you? Well, you know, my my first wife, uh, she married a stay at home accountant. To be honest, like, you know, she didn't marry a poker player when we got together. <laughs> seven years going to school um, to be an accountant and the plan was to be you know not traveling not doing all this you know stuff and uh, when I won the World Series of Poker things obviously changed um, we ended up getting divorced met my new wife um, she knew what I did when we met she was okay with it we've been together ever since um, super happy um, honestly couldn't couldn't be even happier I mean she's awesome so, um, you know, I married probably a little bit too young the first time. Second time, I said I was never going to get married again. I was married the next year. I just met the perfect person, so um, it worked out. All right. Well, good. How about that? Good job. That sounded uh, a lot simpler than um, I imagine it would be, to be honest. It sounded well, obviously, it wasn't that, you know, when you, when you start getting lawyers and everything else involved, it's never going to be that easy. Oh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was the gist of it. Oh. oh, so, okay, well, all the lawyer stuff aside, you found someone else, and it all worked out really well. Yep, yep, couldn't be happier. Um, she's awesome. I uh, got super lucky. She's, you know, on a scale of, like, you know, 1 to 10 on the hotness scale, I'm probably, like, a three and a half, four, and she's, like, a seven, eight. so um, <laughs> that, that's pretty good. I mean, that's a fun, funny way to put it. Okay. All right, so, uh, well, tell us a bit more about, um, you've been in poker for a really long time. How would you say it's changed in the last uh, 20 years, since 2003? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, everything's changed. I mean, from how people look, how people took care of themselves, to the game itself. Um, you know, back when 2003, what people don't realize is, um, like, where I played in Tunica, Mississippi, they had on the wall, you couldn't check raise. Checking raising was not allowed. <laughs> so um, they didn't have any no limit games. It was all limit. Um, you know, there, if you're looking for a no limit poker tournament, you couldn't find any. There was probably like three, four, five throughout the entire year. They were always in Tunica, Vegas, Atlantic City, and LA. Like that, there just wasn't poker anywhere else. Um, and there were very, it was very, very rare to have a poker tournament going on. Um, obviously now, you know, you got dailies going on at every single casino that has a poker room for the most part. You can find a poker tournament anywhere in the world on, you know, most occasions. Um, the game has just exploded over the last 20 years and, um, it's not even recognizable to what it was, uh, back when I won. And also the amount of resources that we had in 2003. I mean, we had Doyle Brunson Super System, Mike Caro's uh, Book of Tells, and I think there was a satellite book maybe. There was like three or four poker books, and that was it. I mean, there was no, you know, uh, coaching, you know, everything that you have now. All the solvers and everything that you have now that at your disposal, it's just, it's crazy how quickly you can get good at the game if you put the time in now versus 2003, you're just on your own. You just got to figure it out. I mean, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of resources out there. Your best resource was trying to get together with friends and talk strategy and figure out the best way. And I actually missed those days. It was nice, you know, trying to figure it out on your own and not have GTO telling you, exactly what to do and you know how you're supposed to play against the daniel cates of the world well 
Um, it's very hard to play GTO, so you know. Uh, and a lot of players... I don't think these poker players should play GTO. I think they play... Like, this GTO... First of all, GTO has this reputation of, like, being really, really solid, which is true. It, it is really solid, but it, it absolutely is aggressive. It basically is aggressive in every... In most situations, just a little bit. Right? It's got, a, it's got, it's got the appropriate amount of bluffs with value. And a lot of these guys aren't making, like, that many moves. Um... Well, not not as many as they, they're supposed to. They, they for sure don't orient their strategy like GTO does. I can tell you that, because it looks yeah. much more alien than than um, than what you what they usually do. They usually use like an abridged version, which is kind of boring to be honest. But well, I mean, okay. you play a fifteen hundred dollar buy-in event with GTO, you're going to get destroyed. I mean, oh, you yeah. know, people are playing so far, so exploitable that. You know, one thing about GTO is it's great when you're playing against accomplished, really good players. It kind of keeps you out of trouble. Um, you know, it, it helps you not get abused too bad. Oh, yeah. Um, but it also makes it to where it's tough when you're playing against guys that their three bets are only kings, queens, aces, and ace-king. <laughs> like, you know, you play a 1,500 event a lot of times. I mean, the only three betting hands are... Are premiums, so really? like you can't just take Ace Five and just rip it because you're gonna get looked up. <laughs> um, so you know it's just that it, it's funny because I never use any kind of uh, optimal theories for like you know GTO type when I play the 1500s. I used a lot of it during Triton. I you know um, played a lot more balanced, I guess, and tried to be really aware of you know not playing too much in early position and, you know, playing opening proper ranges where if I'm playing a, you know, a bunch of other people, most people have so many tells and have so many things going on that you can open pretty freely and just outplay people. And they pay, they make so many mistakes that, uh, you can, you know, sometimes you look like an idiot. Sometimes you look like a genius. It just really depends, but, um, <laughs> they're you know, not too you, far apart. You can play from the hip. <laughs> a lot um, of street poker. Oh, yeah, actually, I read this book, Mike Caro's Book of Tells. I forgot about that. I don't know how useful that book is these days, to be honest. I think a lot of those tell books, I don't know. They, I don't really use them too much. Now there's tell courses, but there's some stuff in there that's, like, good, especially if if uh, people... Mike Caro's Book of Tells, it was basically if they're if they act strong, they're weak. If they act weak, they're strong. That, that was the premise of the whole book. I mean, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of true. It's it's not hundred percent true. Obviously, it's like leans toward the true side. I would say it, it's no longer becomes true once uh, you deal with uh, more um, seasoned poker players. Actually, the the I think the poker players, most professional poker players these days have pretty consistent patterns, but they look nothing like what they look like in that book. They they're more like. They almost lean in the opposite kind of direction, but that wouldn't be accurate to say either. It's as if like they have they're almost too disciplined in a way. Basically, they're aware that they need to make this play. It, the it, they've learned you got to make this play with this hand, so you take the emotion out of it, and they make the play. But they're so disciplined, knowing they have to make that play, that you can you can read that a lot of times um, um i would say it's more like they're so like aware of what their image might be or what they might be doing or what how they may be, might be perceived that they often psych themselves out and don't actually listen they, they're not quite robotic enough oh, let's put it that way um but that's not that's not universally true either they basically just like psych themselves out because it would be like if someone an example would be if someone had this idea, okay, I'm going to be a good person, and then now they'd have, like, the ego of being a good person. It'd be, like, an equivalent way of looking at things. They, now they have the ego of the being a good person, so they, like, have this self-righteous complex. Uh, and so they still have the ego. <laughs> Makes sense. Well, it, you know, most people, when you play, like, the $2,500, $1,500 buy-ins, most people aren't paying much attention anyways. I mean, they're playing their cards, and playing you know whatever ranges they they know to play they're not really looking for tells or trying to um you know pick up 
all kinds of information on players. Uh, they'll pick up the obvious stuff, but uh, you know, if you look around after about thirty minutes, no one's paying attention anymore, for the most part. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that sounds about right. I mean, that's good news. I mean, poker's still alive. Um, hundred percent, it is. So I I read I I read that you looked up to Johnny Chan uh, when he played. What was it about Johnny Chan that you liked so much and or that you admired so much about him? And uh, did you also have any other idols in poker? Well, Johnny Chan, it's not that I, I looked up to him. He was really the only poker player I knew. Uh, he was in the movie Rounders. Um, he was considered the perfect poker player. So when I played the main event, I only knew, like physically knew three names in poker. I knew Johnny Chan, Doyle Brunson, and Phil Helmuth. Those are the only three names I even knew who they were. So, and Johnny Chan was considered the, the perfect poker player. So, um, yeah, I wanted to be the perfect poker player. I wanted to be like Johnny Chan. And, uh, you know, I just didn't know any better. Um, over time, that transitioned pretty greatly. I... Uh, probably my biggest friend and mentor slash someone I look up to is probably Joe Hashem. Um, you know, mm -hmm. he's been a friend of mine for years. I like the way he balances poker and family and how, um, he just handles himself on and off the felt. So he's probably been one of my biggest inspirations in poker and, uh, watching him and how he just handles himself is, um, something I've always tried to emulate. Okay, I've heard good things about Joe. I don't know him that well. Um, Johnny, I don't know. He's a good guy, family guy. You know, he doesn't travel much anymore. He stopped uh, traveling so much uh, years ago after he left Poker Stars. He uh, decided he was going to stay in Australia more. He'll come over for uh, the WSOP, and he'll come over for um, the L.A. tour, uh, L.A. stop every once in a while, but mostly just the WSOP. You don't really see him come over out of Australia much anymore. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Australia's fun. You should take the Moneymaker tour there if you can. I've, I've already been I've already been in the works of talking to it. I, I've, I made a couple trips down there. Yeah, it's pretty amazing down there. Uh, cool. We got to get, we got, we got to walk before we run, though. We got to get, you know, we, we've got a lot of work to do in the U.S. still, so. Uh, but we'll get there. All right. Well, hopefully make that happen. I wanted to ask, since you made a ton of money, you must have, a, have had a like a huge swing in your net worth. Um, what? Uh, how did that affect? What did you do next? First of all, and also, um, what what changed after that? Because you must have gone from having whatever amount of money to having like whatever like multiple millions of dollars in your bank account right like eight million dollars or whatever it was um like <laughs> there must well, have been some changes for sure your yeah uh, it, it was two and a, i won two and a half million and uh i ended up you know like i said my wife at the time oh, yeah. didn't like what i was doing so i was essentially broke um pretty quickly after um, winning the main event because we went through the divorce and I basically gave her all the money, oh. um, kept my business interests, um, and just let her have the money. But over time, built back and it was more of a consistent grind than just kind of banking the, the 2.5. Oh, that's interesting. If, yeah, I would have probably just spew lost the 2.5 if I didn't, uh, grind it back and uh do it the you know do it through appearances and poker and uh, uh you know ambassador stuff um you know i built it over 20 years and um obviously any poker tournament i hit it's obviously a nice little bank um but for the most part it's been um you know just putting back saving and uh being smart with money i mean uh, we went for many, many years without really spending a whole lot. We um, were real conservative. Um, we actually just started spending a little bit more recently. We we bought a second home and a boat and some jet skis and oh, wow. a couple of nicer things. But for the most part, we've always been pretty practical. Uh, made sure that a 
college funds and retirement accounts and all that stuff were taken care of first. And, uh, you know, now we get to, to play a little bit. We get, you know, have a little bit of, of freedom to, you know, do different things. Oh, awesome. Uh, it sounds like you're killing it. I, so that's actually really interesting. It sounds like you didn't even need the main event to, uh, to be successful because if you lost the whole, had to pay out the whole amount and divorce funds. It sounds like you must have had some business stuff going on in the background or something. Well, the, the main event was big because it, it opened up opportunities to do appearances and do, you know, I, obviously I worked for poker stars for 17 years. They paid me a salary. I did appearances. Um, I would go and, you know, do a weekend, you know, almost every two or three weekends I would go and get, you know, $7,500 for showing up at a casino. And uh, you do that enough, it adds up pretty quickly. And then, you know, the good thing is I'm playing in games where, you know, I'm making five, ten thousand $10,000 in, in these little appearance games and, you know, just keep stocking it back and, over time it adds up and you know put got money in bitcoin and you know mm -hmm. things just worked out i guess okay i mean uh if do you want to give any advice on that for the the viewers because something that's a slow grind upwards seems like a more reliable track than you know banking a huge tournament because it's very hard to bank a huge tournament well, it's hard to make a huge, I mean, you know, it's like winning the lottery or whatever. I mean, you know, whenever you come into immediate success, um, for most people, that's why you hear so many lottery winners that go broke. Um, they all of a sudden just start spending money. Well, they don't have money coming in later that sustains them. you you got to have consistent money coming in. you got to set yourself up to... Um, you know, if you were to hit the lottery, the best advice I could give you, or win a big tournament, uh, go buy rental properties, go buy something that's going to give you residual income, you know, that's something that's going to, you can't get to and um, will, you know, generate revenue going forward for the rest of your life. Um, that's that's the way to do it. Um, you know, you, you bank one big one and you just go start spending money left and right. Um, before too long, you're going to have to bank another one or you're going to be broke. And, um, so yeah, I mean like Bitcoin's obviously a, a pretty good investment or it has been over the last decade. Um, I believe it still has a lot of growth in it. Um, you know, I, I think cryptocurrencies are the, are the future, but you know, I've always, I've, I've kind of believed that for the last couple of years, but, um, Mm -hmm. it, it's kind of scary when you look at the the U.S. dollar and some of the things that, you know, because we just keep printing money or our debt's going through the roof. And so you just make sure you're diversified. Make sure, you know, you want to have real estate. You want to make sure you have crypto, gold, silver, you know, a good mix of everything. So if something goes down, generally the others go up. Um, so I just make sure I diversified really well. And, you know, it, you know, whenever something goes really bad, the other generally goes up, so it works out pretty well. So um, something that is hard to take down completely, uh, where you have many like fail safes and you know not all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. I, I personally think that there's a really high chance of negative parabolic or negative, just basically negative dress, drastic negative events like in the future. I mean, the whole, for example, one thing is that the U.S. debt is going pretty much out of control. But there's a lot of factors like that in today's world that really make volatility kind of skyrocket, which means, you know, having something reliable and stable and that has a tangible value like real estate assets or gold or real, real estate assets especially um, probably is really important in the future. For sure. I mean, you know, if, if the economy crashes, gold's going to be good. Real estate's going to be good. It, it's really going to be hard for those to really lose a lot of value when things go bad. Obviously, when everything in the economy and everything else is doing well, those don't do as well, but you're happy because you have other stuff. But again, if you're diversified, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you have fail-safes put into place that if you know something bad happens, then 
you've got backups and all of a sudden now your gold and silver's going up or your real estate's still generating you revenue. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, just every time you make a little bit of money, put a little portion back and, you know, you make your emergency fund, you know, put back six months of expenses. And then after that, start investing and just take a little bit and invest in crypto, invest in gold, invest Real estate's tough because obviously it's pretty expensive. Um, you know, it's hard to find uh, cheap real estate anymore. So um, I would I would focus on if it were me again starting from scratch. I would focus on crypto and gold. All right. Well, crypto and gold pretty simple. Uh, I do think simple is also good. To be honest, um, I'd probably yeah. I think I'll get some money in gold, especially I have some in crypto. But whatever. Anyway, I've got to go in a second. Uh, we're running out of time. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Any future plans? You know, I'm working with America's Card Room now. Um, mm-hmm. We're about ready to do the cage. Uh, we're we're starting some some tours with with them. We just re, revamped the site, so we're growing. Everything's going fantastic there. Super excited about what ACR Poker is going to have uh, in the future. Um, we just unveiled mystery bounties. Um, so playing online a lot more than what I have been in the past. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I plan on playing a lot online and then uh, trying not to travel as much as I, I used to. But I got Costa Rica tomorrow, and then uh, we have Daytona Beach, our, next, our, our Daytona Beach stop for the Moneymaker Tour, and then we have Cincinnati right after that. So uh, got a pretty schedule, pretty busy schedule coming up. Um, uh, but I guess, you know, busy is not a bad thing. Uh, one more thing. What's, what's the cage? The cage is, um, they used to have it back in the day. It's a, it's a brand new, well, it's not brand new. It's, it's since COVID, this will be the first one. It's a hybrid between cash and tournament. So you buy in for, I think the buy-in's five grand and you play the blind start at like five ten, then go to 10, 25, 25, 50. So for two days, they continue to go up, and you can't cash out. You have to stay in the cage. Either you go broke and you're done, or whatever money you make, when you get to the end of the cage, say you made 60000 you walk with your 60000 in cash. It's a cash game with the blinds increasing, essentially, and you can't leave. Okay. Okay. So. All right. Uh, is it private? I'm, I'm curious. I might want to play. Nope, not private. Uh, first one's going to be in Costa Rica. Starts to, starts Wednesday. Um, I know Dwan's going to be down there, actually. I think he's coming. Um, Phil's going to plan on having bigger cages, I believe, and he's going to have some private games, I think, down in Costa Rica. So, um, you know, you might want to look into it. I think December, December we're talking about having another one. Uh, it's going to be a, you know, probably have a couple different ones a year uh, in different locations. So um, it's definitely something you'll want to look into, especially some of the bigger ones. Okay, cool. Uh, that sounds good. Thank you for your time. Best of luck also for the Moneymaker Tour, and hope to see you in the future. Hope you uh, keep keep positive change going and inspire more people. Same to you. I appreciate what you're doing, and I'm you know hopefully we'll get to work together on some of those charity stuff, and I'm sure I'll see you on the road, and uh, hopefully see you in the gym because right. that's where we both need to be. So all right, sounds good. Uh, see you yeah, see in the buddy. gym and the charity. Let's uh grow together and make a positive change together. Sounds good. All right, buddy. All right. Have a good one. See ya.